Uh, Grab your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. That's what I just read. Uh, We have reached today one of the tallest peaks in the mountain range of the Bible. Uh, There may be no more familiar passage in all of Scripture than the Ten Commandments. Uh, Throughout history, these verses have been displayed in courthouses, schools, churches, and homes all over our nation. Surveys over recent years have found that most Americans still believe the Ten Commandments are important, though that number is shrinking with each successive generation. But when asked to name them, most people have a hard time remembering them all. Uh, Back in 2007, which seems like an eternity ago, a survey of Americans made national headlines. The survey found that 74% of Americans could name all three stooges. 35% could name all six kids from the Brady Bunch. 25% could name all seven ingredients of a Big Mac, which I didn't know that was a thing, but hey. Oh, their jingle. I see. Must have been before I was born. I'm kidding. (laughs) Sorry, Lauren. (laughs) But only 14% could name all ten commandments. So how about you? How many of the 10 could you name on the spot? If I woke you up in the middle of the night, I know we just heard it, that's cheating, but if I woke you up, how many could you name? Most people know the back half, uh, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, but it's those earlier ones that get a bit foggy. Uh, Whether you know them or not, you likely know that the 10 commandments are important. As Christians, I'm sure you would agree that we should know and abide by these laws. But why? Why should the Ten Commandments still matter to us today? First off, we recognize rightly that these rules were given a long time ago in a specific place to a specific people. We are not ethnic descendants of Israel. And second off, we know that as Christians, we emphasize and believe that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. We do not earn our salvation by obeying rules or laws. We can't. It's because of what Jesus has done, not what we do. Some Christians even go so far as to say that Christianity is not about rules. It's about relationship, as if there were no rules for Christians to follow, but just to love Jesus. We know in reality that there can be no relationship apart from some kind of rules or guidelines. Think about a parent-child relationship or a marriage relationship. There has to be some rules there. So we know that rules like Thou shalt not kill, or of course, still applicable today. Uh, Last time I checked, killing is still wrong, okay? But what about the Sabbath or not making idols? How do we apply those rules today? What do the Ten Commandments mean for followers of Jesus? That's what I want to show you today. I want us to see that, yes, we should know and believe in and obey the Ten Commandments, but we do relate to these laws a bit differently than the Israelites who originally received them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through each of the Ten Commandments, and I want to give you, as we do, I want to give you three answers to this question that's the title of our sermon. Why rules? Why rules? Here's the first answer. Number one, because the Ten Commandments show us our God. They show us our God. Let's remember that in Exodus chapter 20, Israel is still figuring out what it means to be God's chosen people. They, they spent generations in slavery in Egypt. Uh, they saw God's love and power in bringing them out. 
But they're still learning about who this God is and, and how he wants them to live. So this is the chief purpose of God giving Israel the law. He wants to show them who he is. And let's remember that God is not saying, hey, Israel, if you obey these rules, then you can be my people. No, God says in the very first verse I read, he said, you already are my people. I am the Lord, your God. Now here's how my people must live. The Ten Commandments come out of God's established relationship with his people. God's grace came first, as we just sang. And then the law came to further reveal who God is. So what does it tell us about God that he is a giver of rules? Well, a lot of times rules get a bad rap. Rules and laws are viewed as oppressive and old-fashioned. They get in the way of, of and suppress our desires uh, we see this in society with the labeling of rules, particularly around sexuality, as even being considered harmful to our well-being. A rule that says you can't sleep with someone until you're married is considered today to be holding you back from happiness and being authentic to yourself. But that is completely untrue when it comes to God's law. God does not give laws to oppress us, but to actually free us. And this is the paradox of rules. We often think of freedom as being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. But that's not true freedom. True freedom is found in obedience to God's commands. For example, think of it like this. You can tell a fish, hey, fish, you're free. You don't have to stay in this water. It's just holding you back from being your true self. If you want to get out of here and go out on the land, you do it and you experience that freedom. What would happen to that fish? Well, yeah, that's a, thank you. That supposed freedom would lead to his harm and death, and he would get flushed down the toilet, right? Or another good way to think about this is, is with the lines on the road or the guardrails going up a mountain. Imagine telling someone, hey, don't worry about those lines. Those have been around so long. Nobody takes those seriously. Just drive wherever you want and follow your car's true desires. That's insane. That would be bad, right? Yeah, we understand the, the lines on the road and the guardrails on the mountain are actually there to protect us and keep us safe. And it's only within the proper boundaries that one can experience the freedom found in driving. This is how God's law works. These rules are not given to prevent us from experiencing life. They're given so that we can experience the life that God created us to have and be the people God created us to be. God's law is given for our good. So even as Christians, we, we've got to get rid of this idea that rules are bad or that Christianity is not about commands. That couldn't be further from the truth. Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That man is blessed. Listen to this one from the New Testament, from 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his what? Commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The law is not meant to be some burden upon us. It's meant to guide us into freedom. And here's why. 
Because at its core, the law is an expression of God's character. This is what I mean when I say that the law shows us our God. The Ten Commandments tell us some very important things about who God is. And that's what I want to show you first by walking through the Ten Commandments. Very first one, number one, first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. This is a call to loyalty and devotion to God alone. And this is the first commandment because it's the foundational one. In fact, every time you sin, every time you break one of the other nine, you're also breaking this one. You're replacing something else before God. Remember remember that in this time period, every other culture was polytheistic, meaning they, they worshiped a lot of gods at once. So this law would have immediately separated Israel from every other nation around them. They were to acknowledge and worship no other God but Yahweh. How does this first commandment show us God? Well, it shows us that he's a God who alone is worthy of our worship. He demands loyalty, not because he needs us to acknowledge him, but because worship of him is what we were made for. It's where we find our true satisfaction and purpose. Second, second commandment is this. You shall have no images or idols. In the place where Israel had just come from in Egypt, and the place where they're about to go in Canaan, those groups of people represented the gods they worshipped with carved statues or, or chiseled statues. It, it might have been a statue of an animal or some other part of creation. And what would they do? They would set those up and they would bow down to them and they would make sacrifices to them. And this is what God was forbidding for his people. He says, you're not to do that. You're not to make or bow down to anything except me. And they were not to try and represent God with some sort of image or idol. And we can imagine how tempting that might have been in this time. I mean, all the other nations, all the other guys, their gods were right there. They could see them. They could touch them. They they were right there in a visible form and in concrete form. So why can't we do that? Well, the reason God says, says because he's a jealous God. Now, this, this idea of God's jealousy is not something we think about often. Uh, we tend to think of jealousy as a bad thing. But that's because when you or I are jealous, we are wanting something that is not ours. But when God is jealous, he is wanting something that already belongs to him. You see the difference? God is jealous of our worship and our love because it's rightfully his. He made us. He cannot allow us to give a worship to another and be damaged by that. So how does this commandment show us God? Well, it shows us that God cannot be confined to any single image. There is nothing we could create or craft that could adequately express how awesome God is. He is the creator. He is so unlike any created thing. So to take a part of this world, whether wood or stone, and and form it into something and worship it or to use it and try to represent God, it actually diminishes his glory. This commandment tells us that God is glorious beyond anything we could see or imagine. Third commandment is this, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And when we hear this one, we, we think of using God's name with an expletive or saying OMG. And that is certainly one way to break this commandment. But there's also a deeper meaning to this one. We've already seen in Exodus that God's name is very important. 
In fact, when God wanted to most personally reveal himself to Moses, he shared with him his name, which is Yahweh. God's name is tied directly to his character and his person. So to misuse his name, it's not like when when my name is mispronounced at a restaurant, which happens a lot. Uh, I often go by Mika, Micha, or Micaiah, and I say, yeah, that's me. Don't worry about it. But to misuse God's name is to defame, to, to disparage God himself. That word vain means worthless or empty. So to take God's name in vain is ultimately to use God's name falsely. Whether that be by swearing or by saying something untrue about him or using his name for political or personal gain or even to lift up his name in worship while your heart is far from him. So how does this commandment show us God? Well, it shows us that God is worthy of honoring him with our words. He is so great and glorious that if we're going to talk about him, we need to be careful to do so in a way that attributes to him that greatness and glory. God is not a God to be name-dropped or belittled or slandered or propped up. He is worthy of all spoken honor. Fourth commandment is this. Remember the Sabbath. This is the longest of the Ten Commandments and the one actually mentioned most often in the Old Testament. It's a call for Israel to build into their rhythm a day of rest from their work. Uh, This rhythm was based on God's pattern in creation where he made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. But just like we've seen with the others, this commandment is more than just taking a day off work each week. This was not just a day of rest, but it was meant to be a day of worship to God. It was a day where you demonstrated your dependence on God by not working and trusting in him to provide for you. We saw that with the manna. Do you remember that? Israel had to trust God that he would provide double for them on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to go out and collect on the seventh day, the man on the ground. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift to rest, a call to rest, and also a challenge to rest and dependence on God. So what does the fourth commandment tell us about God? It tells us that God is a God worthy of our trust. He is a God that doesn't just want our worship and our loyalty and our words, but also our time. God wants his people to depend on him in everything, and he wants his people to rest so that they remember they are not self-sufficient. That's what we do when we take off work, when we sleep, when we sit back and relax. We're declaring that we are not God. Our bodies don't work like him. We need rest. Only he is sufficient for all our needs. Fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Let me say that again. Honor your father and mother. And all the parents in the room said amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for your perfect word, right? (laughs) So whereas the first four commands were, were vertical, they were about our relationship to God, these next six are horizontal. They're about our relationship with each other. And not by accident, this is the first one of those six. It's the relationship between a child and his parents. To honor someone means to show proper respect to someone's role that God has given them. And for children, parents are their chief authority. And children learn to submit to God's authority by submitting to their parents. But hear me, 
This isn't just a command for kids to obey. All right, there's no age limit here. This is for us adult children too. This gets harder with time, doesn't it? The Bible speaks of this especially in caring for parents into their old age. This is the only command we see with a particular promise attached to it. Israel was promised success and longevity in the land if they honored their father and mother. It was that important to God. So how does this commandment show us God? Well, it shows us that God values family. God designed man and woman to marry and to procreate. We see this in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And in his design, the family is foundational to the right ordering of society and the flourishing of humanity. God values the family. Sixth, the sixth command is do not murder. Pretty straightforward, right? In the Hebrew language, it's only two words. It makes sense. Taking an innocent person's life is wrong. I think that's one of the few remaining things that most everyone in the world would agree with. How does this commandment show us God? Well, it shows us that God values life. Every person from conception to death is made in his image. And to take someone's life is to destroy a fellow image bearer. God is the creator and author of life, and he alone can rightfully give and take it. Seventh command is do not commit adultery. God commanded Israel to be faithful to their spouses. If the family was the foundation of the community, then maintaining strong and healthy marriages was, was vital. How does this command show us God? Well, it shows us that God values marriage. God created marriage. He sets the rules for how it works. And marriage is intended to be a picture of his love for us. So violating your marital vows is to defame the very character of God as he himself is faithful and loyal. That's what this one demonstrates. Number eight, eighth command is do not steal. Again, this one's pretty simple. God wanted Israel to know that taking something from someone else was wrong. If a society is going to function and survive, justice and respect for personal property has to be hallmarks of it. How does this show us God? Well, it shows us that God is a God of justice. He's a God of fairness, and he's a God who's generous. He gives to others, and he, he longs that we would also give rather than take. Ninth command is do not bear false witness. We often shorten this one to do not lie. But this command was specifically about saying something false about another person. In this time period, someone's guilt of a crime was proven by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So it was very important that people did not say false things about one another. How does this show us God? Well, it shows us that God is a God of truth. Numbers 23, 19 tells us that God cannot lie. God is a God of truth. His word is always true, and thus he values what is true. Last, tenth command is this. Do not covet. Whereas the previous several commands were external actions, this is really a heart issue. To covet, listen to this, to covet is to wrongfully desire something that is not rightfully yours. We can see that in the command as God mentions wanting your neighbor's stuff, his spouse, his house, his animals, anything. 
Coveting is, is born from discontentment and a lack of trust in God, which means that if you break any of the other nine commandments, you've likely already broken this one too. So how does this commandment show us God? It shows us that God is a God of fairness. It shows us that everything we have comes from him and that he gives us exactly what we need. And it shows us that he's a God of contentment. He wants us as his people to not walk around wanting what everyone else has, but be satisfied in him alone. Those are the ten, and I know that was a quick flyover, and there are so many different things we could get into if we were preaching these one by one. But what I want you to see simply is how the Ten Commandments are not just some arbitrary rules made up. They are reflections of God's character. This is also why breaking the law, what we call sin, is so egregious. You're not just breaking some old trivial rule. You are assailing the very character of God. You're essentially spitting in his face and rejecting his design. Look, if we want to know God and honor God, then we have to know his law. But the Ten Commandments don't just show us our God. Here's the second thing, second answer to the question, why rules? Number two, the Ten Commandments show us our heart. And this point will be much quicker, I promise. But in the same way, the Ten Commandments reveal God's character. They also reveal ours. Except for us, this is bad news. Because what we find when we look at these rules is that we've broken all of them. A lot. You may not believe me because most people don't see that initially. We, we tend to have a pretty nice view of ourselves, especially compared to others. We tend to think we're model citizens I think if you were to ask the average person on the street how many of these commands they've broken, they'd likely own up to, you know, lying, disobeying parents, but they'd say, oh, of course, I haven't killed anybody. I saw a clip recently from uh, the TV show Family Feud. Anybody like to watch this great show? Uh, one of the questions they asked was, how many of the Ten Commandments did you break this past month? And the way the show works is you try and guess how 100 people answered that survey question. So the lady was standing up there guessing, and she guessed that the answer would be seven commandments broken in the last month. And Steve Harvey, who's the host, he's a comedian, he made this really funny face, and he said, seven commandments in a month? I want to know who you killed. It was this funny little bit. But then they reveal the number one answer to the survey was one. The majority, yeah, I know, I want to know where these people live. The majority of people surveyed believe they had only broken one commandment in the past month. Now, you may not have broken all ten in the last month, okay? But I want to just kind of show you really quick that you have certainly broken all of these in your lifetime. And instead of putting all the pressure on you today, you know what? I'll show you by confessing to you how I've broken all ten, Okay? First, I, Micah, have put other things in God's place. It's called idolatry. And the biggest idol I've struggled with is personally, personally, is the approval of other people. I have placed what others think of me in, before God so many times. And though I've never bowed down to a literal statue, I have bowed down to that idol in my heart too many times to count. So I've broken the first two commandments. I've taken God's name in vain. I've used his name jokingly and even used his name to make myself look more spiritual. I've broken the third commandment. 
I've prioritized busyness and work over worship of God. I've tried to control my own time and schedule and not honor God with it. So I've broken the fourth commandment. I've disobeyed my parents. Enough said there. There's the fifth commandment. I've never killed anyone, but Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that to be angry with your brother is to be liable to the same judgment as murder. What he was demonstrating when he said that is these commands are not just about what you do on the outside, but they're also about the inside, the heart. There's a spiritual element to these. So I've been angry at others before. That means I've broken the sixth commandment. I've never been unfaithful to my wife. But Jesus also said that to lust after someone who's not your spouse is to commit adultery in your heart. I have lusted and broken the seventh commandment. I've taken something that did not belong to me. I've broken the eighth commandment. I've lied many times. I've broken the ninth commandment. And I have coveted, especially since living in Johnson County. <laughs> I have broken the tenth commandment. If you're keeping score this morning, I don't know if you tallied those up or not, but that makes me a lying, <clears throat> thieving, blaspheming, murderous, adulterous idolater. Compared to other people, I might look like a good guy. But compared to God's law, I'm a wretched sinner who deserves God's just punishment in full. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when I die and stand before God, what I will deserve is to spend eternity in hell. And I bet if you were honest today, you would find yourself right there in the same boat as me. See, the law shows us our heart, our sinful heart, and how far we have fallen. So where does that leave us? How can we have any hope based on what we've seen today? We can have hope because there's one more thing I want you to see. Why? Rules number three. Because the Ten Commandments show us our need. Our need. God's law ultimately shows us that we need a Savior. See, the Ten Commandments were not given to show us the path to heaven. The Ten Commandments were given to show us that if it's up to us, we have no path to heaven. Look, we have a sin problem. You've seen that. And we cannot obey our way out of it. We can't be good enough. We can't fix ourselves. So these are not rules to help you be a good person so you can earn your spot in heaven and earn your way to God. That will never work. No, the law points us to our need for Jesus. Jesus came to save us and to fix our sin problem, and he did that in two primary ways. First, he did that by obeying the law in our place. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to knock them out by fulfilling them. He obeyed every single one of the laws, and therefore he was perfect. And this was important because it meant Jesus could transfer that perfect righteousness over to us. That leads to the second thing Jesus did. He died for our sin. On the cross, God did a miracle. He put all the judgment and punishment for our breaking of the law, our sin on Jesus. And he gave us his perfect righteousness. Jesus' perfect obedience to the law. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For our sake, that's me and you. He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He was perfect. So that in him, in Jesus, we, me and you, might become the righteousness of God. I like to think of it like this. This is a simple way to think about it. 
I already showed you on the Ten Commandment test, I get a zero. But when Jesus took the Ten Commandment test, he got a hundred. He passed every single one a perfect grade. But when I went to turn my test in, Jesus erased the names. And he put his name on my test and my name on his test so that he got the zero and I got the perfect score. That's what Jesus did through his life and through his death. He saved us. He fulfilled the law with his perfect life. And then he satisfied the broken law's demands with his death. And through him, you and me, we can be forgiven and free. And here's the beautiful part. Once we are forgiven and freed by Jesus, we now have the ability to obey the law. Not so we can earn God's love, but because we already have it. Not so we can be saved, but because we already are saved. Now we can see the Ten Commandments not as some old, burdensome regulations, but we can see them as freedom, as the way to truly live. And we can be people who put God first, who honor him with our words and our time, people who value family and life and marriage and truth. We can be people of justice and fairness and people of contentment. To sum it up like Jesus, we can be people who love God and love others. Look, we will never be perfect. I hope you've seen I'm far from it. But through Jesus, we can learn to actually live as God's people and bring glory to him through our lives and grow more and more like him every day. But here's where it starts. It starts with you confessing your need for Jesus. So let me ask you, have you ever come to that place that I just did this morning? Have you ever realized that you've broken all ten commandments? Have you ever realized that you're a sinner who has no way of standing before God and arguing your way in? Or saying, I'm a good person, God. I didn't kill anybody. I'm not as bad as them. You can let me in, right? If that's what you're banking on, none of us, including me, will ever make it. But there's hope in Jesus. If you'll turn to him and trust in him, he can save you and forgive you of all your sins. So let me invite you this morning to bow your head and close your eyes with me.